Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Thanks for joining me today for another great discussion around nutrition and health without compromise. Today, I'm joined by an incredible world-class neurosurgeon and elite athlete, Dr. Joseph Maroon. Dr. Maroon is vice chairman and professor of the Department of Neurological Surgery at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. He is an authority in sports medicine and concussion management. Dr. Maroon serves as a team neurosurgeon for the Pittsburgh Steelers and medical director of the World Wrestling Association. He has authored over 300 peer-reviewed scientific articles and numerous books. He ranks as an Ironman triathlete and is frequently asked to lecture on wellness and the benefits of exercise and healthy living. He joins me today to talk about his most recent book, Square One, A Simple Guide to a Balanced Life. Dr. Maroon, welcome to the show. What a pleasure to, to do and share experiences with you, Karina, and your audience. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining me. We've known each other since, um, as I clock it, the early 2000s when we connected through work at Nordic Naturals. So for me, this book, Square One, felt like a bit of a walk down memory lane and a refresher course of the many times that I saw you speak at conferences and trade shows, special events, even like Wild Fest, if people remember the Wild Oats days. So I'd love for you to just start by telling me what inspired you to finally sit down and write this after all of these years. Well, obviously an excellent question and very provocative. And I gave a talk in 1986, Karina, to the Congress of Neurological Surgeons, which was the largest group of neurosurgeons at the time, uh, as a presidential address. And the title of the talk was From Icarus to Equanimitas. And mm -hmm. Icarus, you may recall, was the mythological individual who uh, was warned by his father, Daedalus, the greatest architect in ancient Greece, when they were imprisoned in a labyrinthine prison, the Aedilus made wings made of feathers and wax. And he cautioned his son when they assumed flight not to look down with disdain at the mortals below or, or acquire hubris, overinflated ego and pride, and soar too near the sun, lest the wax melt and he plummet into the sea, nor fly too low lest the waves wet the feathers and pull him into the sea. In other words, it's the hit the mean between extremes, as Aristotle recommended 2,400 years ago. In other words, it's about balance. It's about escaping or surviving burnout in the culture, in the, in the environment in which we now live. We, as you know, we, we have a pandemic or had a pandemic of the coronavirus, but we have another pandemic uh, of mental health. Depression, anxiety, apprehension, fear is absolutely rampant, epidemic, and so destructive to families, to individuals. So basically, I wrote the book 
because of my own personal experiences with adversity and how I was very fortunate to overcome adversity by following a, a formula that involves balancing one's square. So what I would suggest the audience right now, draw a square in your mind or with a pencil. Now at the top, put work on the right side, put family or social, family, social, the bottom put spiritual and on the other side put physical. Now, I want you to draw the length of each line commensurate with how much effort, not necessarily time, but effort you put into each side of your square. So at one point, my work line was very, very, very long. It was like a flat line EKG, if you would. There was no family. I lost spirituality and I was 20 pounds overweight physically physically obese. I was in the depths of a very bad, bad depression. One day I was doing neurosurgery at the University of Pittsburgh on awake patients with brain tumors. My father died, my wife left, and I had to quit neurosurgery because of burnout and literally moved into a farmhouse in West Virginia and worked in a truck stop that my father bequeathed to my mother, filling up 18 wheelers and flipping hamburgers for a full year. And how I escaped suicidal ideation, terribly destructive thoughts and extreme depression was a message that I was able to convey to others and actually was urged by my colleagues to put down on paper what would be useful in a situation like that. Hence the term square one, getting back to square one, getting your life in balance and a successful guide to a balanced life. So that involves four epigenetic factors and we can go into that as you'd like. Diet, exercise, avoiding environmental toxins and factors, and controlling stress and sleep. I'll add sleep as a fifth dimension, but controlling stress. So those four epigenetic factors literally program your genes to form inflammatory agents or anti-inflammatory agents. So it's within our choice what we eat, whether or not we exercise, whether we smoke, drink, abuse ourselves environmentally and how we control stress. So I, I suggest ways of handling each of those that can lead to at least a nearly balanced life. So I've, I've talked enough. Now I'll let you go ahead. Yes. Well, I have to say, just piecing through the book, you mentioned that Danforth Checker, I hadn't recalled 
where it originated before. When I first drew my square years ago, when you brought up this very topic, it ended up looking a little bit like a trapezoid and or a triangle more so than, than a flat line because I conceived it that I would draw you know, each of the lines and then have them join up in some way, but without really kind of getting that flat line perspective because life was all work and not so much of the other things, not so much focus on family or spiritual life or being physical. And so the big way that you address this, Dr. Moon, in, in addition to just thinking about this, you know, throughout your life, I think, was your quest to become an Ironman triathlete, which is just an incredible journey for somebody to go through at any point in their lives, but especially as somebody who's in their 40s and who is getting up off the couch for the first time in a few years, let's just say. Well, Karina, it, it was a serendipitous phone call from the banker who held the mortgage on the truck stop. And he called one day and said, Joe, let's go for a run. <laughs> he said, you need this. And I said, run, I can't walk up a flight of steps without being short of breath. I'm 20 pounds overweight. I've never felt worse in my life. You want me to run? And, but somehow he cajoled me. He wanted to see, I think, if I'd be around long enough to pay off the mortgage on the truck stop. <laughs> <laughs> Banker, but I, I got a pair of scrubs, surgical scrubs, a pair of tennis shoes, and went down to a local high school track. And I made it around four times. And I said, at the end, I'm, I hurt, short of breath, painful. I'll never do this again. But that night, something very unusual happened. I slept for the first time in about four months. Mm. So the next day, I went down myself, and I made it a mile and a quarter, and then mm -hmm. two. And then three, and then I, I kept increasing as I continued to feel better. My diet changed as the unintended side effect of getting a healthier body. Mm -hmm. And I discovered, and I'll ask the audience this, what is the single most effective antidepressant? Is it Zoloft? <laughs> is it Paxil? Uh, is it any of the SSRIs? No, it's physical exercise. Mm -hmm. So what does physical exercise do physiologically and neurochemically to the human brain? So when we do aerobic activity, we're literally rebooting our computers, our brains. Our brains have about 86 billion, that's a B, neurons. Each of these neurons is connected with up to 5,000 different other neurons at a synaptic connection. And there are 100 trillion synapses in our brain. At each of these synapses, neurochemicals are made. One is serotonin which is a mood elevator or not. Another is acetylcholine, which enhances memory. Another is dopamine, the feel-good hormone. Another, it modulates the endocannabinoid system. We have our own endogenous marijuana. We have marijuana receptors in our brain and we make a neurochemical, neurotransmitter called anandamide, meaning bliss or blissful. 
So you you talked about the Ironman triathlons, and I'm obviously I'm, I'm pleased with what I've been able to do physically, but that's really not what I'm talking about. I, I I'm not boasting at all. I discovered that I needed to maintain balance or homeostasis in my own brain. And to do that, I needed exercise. I needed a good diet. I needed to get rid of alcohol, drugs, smoking, and I needed to control stress. Doing those four factors, those four epigenetic factors, reset my neurotransmitters and enabled me to come back much stronger after severe adversity and be able to work with you and our colleagues. And I remember very vividly when I met you, your, your line, your work line was pretty elongated too. <laughs> I think I was pulling 70 or 80 hour weeks at that point. So it I, was I my life. Yes. I, I remember very well. You were, uh, you were stretched to your limits and obviously you've reconsidered things yourself and have now with children and family and, and all the good things in life that you've earned have, have come to the same type of realization about the need for balance and homeostasis in our lives. Well, I have to tell you, I don't know if you know this or not, but I actually became a distance runner and marathoner as a direct result of our connection. So wow. I have run several marathons and half marathons now. I completed the Boston Marathon in 2009. That was my mm -hmm. peak kind of, of performance. Mm -hmm. um, but I had to take a step back because all those uh, road miles gave me another injury. I have bunions now, which have meant that distance running is no longer as much fun as it once was. But I am still out there every day doing long hikes with my dog. I still do jog. And I personally find that if I don't get that hour a day of pretty intense exercise, I don't feel my best. I don't sleep as well. I also am more likely in those cases when I when I miss my workouts I will kind of retreat to some of the junk foods or, or the less good for you foods because it's, you know, it's almost like it's a slippery slope. So I feel like when I'm getting out there every day and enjoying the great outdoors, I, I enjoy exercising outdoors. That's one of the highlights of my life that I am more nutritionally focused on like what nourishes my body and I'm less likely to reach for the pizza at dinner time, so to speak. Excellent. I, I mean, that really is encouraging to hear that because basically you, I, and it's Chuck Knoll was the Super Bowl coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and won several Super Bowls and brilliant Renaissance individual. And he used to say, football's not complicated. Whoever blocks and tackles the best wins the game. It's about blocking and tackling. What we're talking about, life, life really isn't that complicated. Life is about the choices we make, and it's about diet, exercise, uh, controlling environmental factors, and family or controlling stress. The importance of family, if, if you look at, the centenarians in the world, 
where those individuals live who have the most people living over a hundred years of age. You know, where is it? Mm -hmm. It's, it's in Sardinia. It's in the island of Icarus, where Icarus plummeted into the sea. It's in Nicosia, in mm -hmm. Costa Rica, the Seventh-day Adventists. So what do all these people have in common? Besides a healthy diet, hard work, which is their exercise, and clean environment, they mm -hmm. have very strong family units. So why is this important? Well, look at our country, if you want to know why it's important. Look at the 60% of kids who are living without a, without a mother and father. And ask what the key problem is socioeconomically in this country. Again, I'm proselytizing, mm -hmm. but it's my opinion. It's the breakdown of the family. Why is it so important? Because it permits unmitigated stress, acting out, and behavior that is damaging not only to the individual, but also to others in society. Mm -hmm. So the importance of family is a stress reducer. So what you know as well as I, what does chronic stress do to the body and brain? Number one, for the brain, it's neurotoxic. What do I mean by that? When you are under stress, you elevate your cortisol levels, you elevate your adrenaline and epinephrine levels. Chronically elevated, they're neurotoxic. Mm -hmm. They destroy, literally destroy brain cells, particularly in the hippocampus, which is in the temporal lobe here that subserves primarily memory. So people who are under chronic stress clearly have impaired memory. They can't remember things as well. They don't process information as well. So that family unit in terms of stress reduction uh, and stress also literally destroys the lining of the blood vessels to your heart and your brain uh, and also leads to early Alzheimer's disease. So there's, there ain't nothing good about it. So whatever we can do to mitigate stress and how do you mitigate it? The four things we talked about. Diet, exercise, environmental factors, and controlling stress. So it's not complicated, but how do you motivate people to do it? I, I was going down for the third time when I discovered that exercise was my key to survival, literally. Uh, so if there's a message that I want to get out to people. It's not doing Ironman triathlons. That's a secondary product for me. Yes, I'm, I'm pleased and proud. And I look back and I say, how did I do that? But it was the pursuit of homeostasis of body and brain that led me to continue now into, uh, you know, I used to say I, I'm in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I'm really now in overtime. So. Yeah. Well, would that we all get there, right? <laughs> the principles are the same. Like, you know, I tell people I want to die young as late as possible. Yes. And the way to do that is adhering to the, the four square life. 
Well, let's talk about homeostasis for a moment from another perspective, because I mean, you've written other books in your time from fish oil, the natural anti-inflammatory to the longevity factor. And the reality is homeostasis, what is that? It's a return to normal or a return to baseline of of where your your resting state of where you should be, essentially, correct? Yes. As we look at something like our inflammatory disorders, where people's inflammation is out of control through the practices they have in their diet, through not exercising enough, and through living a very stressed life, they get overly inflamed, which destroys and erodes health, as you've noted, specifically neurologically, but in other areas as well. It erodes our immune system. It increases our cortisol levels. The cortisol levels increase weight gain. So there's all this kind of ripple effect, this domino effect of of from bad to worse that we head down. And so there are a few key things that help us from a nutrition perspective to manage that and to return to that so-called homeostasis. So I'd love to know more about what your current go-tos are, both from a dietary perspective to help support that health without compromising what you're really wanting to get from your life. Yeah. You know, I just read an article this morning that in those 65 years of age, approximately 60% have an insufficient diet, 65 and over. Too many processed foods, too much salt, a lot of sugar. A lot of sugar. And all of these are factors that... I mentioned epigenetics. You you have to recall that our genes are located on chromosomes. And our genes do very, they're like a blueprint that you put on the table. They don't do anything until they're acted upon. So when you eat a Big Mac infused with hormones and antibiotics in in a feedlot, fed corn from Iowa, sprayed with glyphosate, and then have trans fatty acids on your French fries and a bottle of phosphoric acid, called Coke, what does that do? It tells your genes to make inflammatory agents, inflammatory cytokines. It's like getting a splinter under your finger. What happens? Your body's rejecting it. It gets red, hot, tender, and swollen. Mm -hmm. So when you eat that kind of food consistently, high sodium, high fat, high sugar, you're creating inflammation in the lining of your blood vessels, in your brain, in your joints, exactly as you said. So you want an anti-inflammatory diet. Lean meat, fish, vegetables, fruits, nuts, whole grains. These are the kinds of things that you want to ingest. And, and then appropriate supplements. You mentioned fish oil. I'm obviously a very big believer in omega-3 fatty acids and the anti-inflammatory effect of fish oil. It's a natural anti-inflammatory. So for joint pain and just for everyday good health, I think it's extremely important. And there there are other things that we can talk about that I think are of importance that are in the book that that you mentioned. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I've been leaning towards after, you know, a long stint of working in the omega-3 industry is going to now algae sources for omega-3s because they don't necessarily need to come from the environment in a destructive way and also offering the same beneficial EPA and DHA to the end user. But 
the fact of the matter is that those omega-3s, EPA and DHA are just incredibly good at helping our bodies to return to that natural state, right? That homeostasis. Because if we've had an inflammatory event, we've had a literal figurative splinter, you want your (laughs) inflammatory system to work to push it out. It's not like we want to you know, throw a wet blanket on that piece and just keep that sliver in, right? So it's important to understand also, I think for those listening that inflammation is also needed in the body, even though (laughs) it's, it's just when it gets out of control. I would love to know what your perspective is on where we are in the world of nutrition as it comes to plant-based versus um, more animal nutrition. I'm personally of a mind that it's important that we we all have balanced diets and there are the CAFOS farmed meats that are, let's say, less kind to the animals and then also those that are more kind. Um, but I'd love your perspective on you know whether or not you tend to support a more plant-based or uh, lean meat-based diet at this particular time for your patients. Yeah, I'm, I'm clearly much more plant-based, fruits, vegetables, nuts, greens. However, I'm, I'm not a purist in saying that I, I never eat farm-raised beef or chicken, and I, I thrive on fresh-caught Arctic salmon. Mm. There's a company that I have nothing to do with, Vital Choice, that has salmon from Alaska that I ship in and put in my freezer, and mm-hmm. very convenient to to get my omega threes from not Atlantic salmon, which which I think may is mostly farmed at this point when it's labeled. Yeah, Atlantic salmon. It's like one of those things that because it's a species of fish, and yeah. so. They're basically misleading people by saying Atlantic, then you think it's from the ocean, but they'll say it's Atlantic, but ultimately that means farmed. And so it also could mean that there's things like colorant added to the flesh of the fish to make it look more pink when it's actually a little bit more gray given where it's grown and how it's grown. So, I I mean, source is important. Knowing everything is really, really hard. (laughs) But at, at this point in time, I think you know, working to know where your meat is coming from, if you're still a meat consumer, is really key. I love that you are, you know, working to get your salmon from a responsible source in Alaska. And, you know, I too cannot say I'm a purist because I go out to eat sometimes and I'm not sure where the meat is really coming from if I order something like a shish kebab. So, you know, that's, I think, a reality for many people. The more we know, the better we're able to make better choices. That's right. By the business of fish and, and the fish industry and how you really have to be so very careful, particularly when you're eating out. Yeah. I mean, that's a reality. In your book, The Longevity Factor, which I also happened to have on my bookshelf, uh, you talk about how resveratrol and red wine can actually work to activate your genes. And I know some of that research has been called to question over the years, specifically um, that was conducted out of Harvard and and whether or not it was as rooted in what could be possibly achieved through even supplementation. Um, but there is continued research that shows that even just having one glass of wine a day can actually be beneficial to your health. So I wondered uh, what your thoughts are presently about where we are and the research as it, as it specifically uh, relates to the longevity and consumption of things like red wine and fine cheeses and things along those lines. Complex question. I just read another article 
saying any alcohol leads to brain atrophy. Mm -hmm. There's a study, I think, in Great Britain, they looked at thousands of patients and did brain scans over a period of time. I, I think, I mean, again, I drink red wine. I drink primarily Pinot Noir because it's the highest in resveratrol content. It has as thin as skin. And resveratrol is the endogenous antibiotic, if you would, of the grapes. Mm -hmm. When they're stressed, they release resveratrol, which is a compound that's helpful, I believe, to us. So, you know, I ingest a glass of wine now and then. Mm -hmm. uh, any more than two, I think, cumulatively over time can be more harmful than helpful. Yeah, it's interesting because Dr. Lee, who we recently interviewed on this podcast for his work, Eat to Beat Disease, he specifically says one glass of red wine or one beer, not both <laughs> and not two a day is actually health promoting. And so I think that's interesting. He also went on to say that hard alcohol has no benefits. <laughs> so, you know, I, I recalled a moment in time when my grandfather used to say that he was prescribed two fingers of scotch every day. I think those things, um, those practices are, are going the way of the dodo. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so do you have any specific foods or supplements that you flock to after your distance runs your, your training sessions? Well, you know, again, people over 40, 45, one of the negative side effects of aging is the development of sarcopenia. Mm, muscle, muscle atrophy. So not only you, you need resistance exercises as well as aerobic exercises to maintain muscle mass. So after exercise, protein drinks, uh, carbohydrate and protein drinks to reestablish, again, homeostasis and balance in the muscles are things that I routinely do. And there's a recent article coming out of Harvard called the Cosmos Study, C-O-S-M-O-S, in which they looked at flavanols, primarily from dark chocolate. And drinks with high flavanol content are particularly beneficial in reducing the inflammation associated with cardiovascular disease. So we're, we're going to hear, this study is just going to be published soon. We're, we're going to hear a lot about dark chocolate and flavanols in the right and high concentrations as a very therapeutic, either bar or drinks. That's uh, going to make a lot of headlines in the next few months. Yes, the dark chocolates, not the Hershey's. Well, not, not milky, not milky chocolate. Yeah, that's right. And with high flavanol content, which is hard to come by. Wow. Yeah, well, I do enjoy a square of dark chocolate now and then. Yeah. I have my favorites. And I will say, for me, the darker, the better. I've even been known to add cacao nibs to yogurt or cereal and things along those lines because I just like it all. Uh, the dark chocolate is is incredible. It's really health promoting. There don't seem to be any downsides unless you've packed it with sugar. <laughs> Well, I, I think in summary, it's going back to Aristotle. You know, he said, hit the mean between extremes in diet, you know, not, not excessive, even in exercise, listen to your body. One of the things that got me into trouble is I was unaware of what I was actually doing in my work and how mm -hmm. I was collecting the other things. 
of critical importance is the Buddhist philosophy of mindfulness mm-hmm. and awareness. Every day when I get in my car and head to work, I have a tachometer. There's a red zone in the tachometer when your engine is overheated and going too fast. Mm-hmm. And I take 30 seconds and I look at my tachometer and I try to take a mental thermometer check, if you would, of my stress level, how I feel, where I am in terms of anxiety, stress. First, be aware of it and then do what's necessary to mitigate it. So you must be aware of, of what we're doing. And then finally, I'll leave with the three most important things in life. So if I ask you, Karina, what are the three most important things in life? I know two of them would be your children. But the three most important things in life, number one, is a healthy mind and a healthy body. Number two is relationships with God, family, friends, and colleagues. And number three is carpe diem, seize the day. We know not the time, nor the day, nor the hour, so that every day we should be aware, mindful, of of where we are, what we're doing, and include that in your meditation. So. Well, I love that. I love thinking about your moment as you're getting into your car in the morning as that check too, as a car lover and as someone who's even raced cars on track. I've often thought about that red zone. So thank you for that analogy. If you could leave our audience with any other message as we prepare to part, what might it be? Well, I think just what I said, it's think of the three most important things in life to you and also be mindful and aware of, of what you're doing if you each moment of every day as best you can and the significance of it. You know, the, it's, it's said that the, the purpose of life is a life of purpose. So, what is your life of purpose? What is your purpose in life? Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Maroon. This has been my absolute pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you. To learn more about Dr. Maroon and his work, visit josephmaroon.com. You can follow him on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Links to all of his profiles, books, and more will be available in our show notes wherever you listen to podcasts. For full transcripts and additional insights, visit our podcast and blog pages at orlonutrition.com. If you enjoyed our discussion today, be sure to subscribe to the show so you're alerted when new episodes drop. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or.